We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. It's a live edition of the KC Laboratory, presented by Emprise Bank. When was the last time you went into a bank? Emprise has wearable banking that allows you to check your account balance, find ATM locations, and receive alerts all from your smartwatch just as easily as you can check your steps. Don't be tethered to a brick building when the ability to do banking is tethered. To your wrist, that's Emprise Bank, member FDIC, our partners in Possible. So appreciative of them. They've been great. It's been great working with them. It's been great working with Maddie Lane and Craig Stout. Uh, first five months at Maddie underscore KCSN. Maddie, did you get all your plumbing taken care of at your house? Um, no, but I know what's happening at least now. Uh, it's a very <laughs> interesting situation going on there. It's It was wild. Um, I, I at least know what's happening. Fixed? Eh. But I know what's there now. Um, so first, I I think I have to issue a formal apology. Last week, I called the Titans a bad team. I said they were fake <laughs> numerous times. And I, I hereby extend this olive branch out, not for calling them a bad team, but for thinking that I was incorrect. They are a bad team. <laughs> they are fake good. News they just draw you into the mud and make you, you play with your Feet stuck in the mud. Bad football team. Get bopped on Sunday night despite trying to start a street fight from the very first play. I I mean, Mike Frabel, still a hell of a coach, man. The fact that he can the fact that he can bring everybody down into that slog with him and make winnable Every games time. out of it is is fairly amazing. I mean, that that was an ugly game. Having had the opportunity now to go back and rewatch a little bit of it from the all 22 angle. 
man, that was ugly. Just, just overall, there was so much of it that was just gross. I can't wait to talk about it for the next hour with you two because it was that <laughs> gross. Yeah, uh, just so much to unpack. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I didn't come into this game with like a ton of expectations, and I told you guys I was scared of this game. I didn't feel good about it. It's just Mike Vrabel just figures out how to just get into the domes of the Kansas City Chiefs. He rolls in with an inferior football team or the Chiefs roll into Tennessee with an inferior football team. And he just finds a way to ugly it up, dictate the terms of the game, stress the Chiefs out. And they don't always know how to respond. And you're right. Like, I mean, it started early on in the game. We saw, hey, look, David Long getting chippy with Travis Kelsey. Um, and you know, the Chiefs like got play up one. Like yeah. Play yeah. one. Yeah. He was bad all game. He was he yeah. was bad all game. He really was. Uh and I know what he does. He shows them the video clip of him shoving Urban Meyer into a locker before every game just to get everybody amped up. And he just convinced them that that's what you do. That's what football is, is shoving coaches into lockers because they're annoying. I mean, I that's gotta be what it is. Cause David Long, who I don't know. I don't think David Long has any bad blood with the Chiefs, but the guy was flirting on the line of like getting penalized repeatedly, almost every single drive with some of the stuff. And after a while, that draws you in, right? You can only handle that so long as an offense, especially an offense that's predicated on speed and precision and a more finesse style of play. And they're going to draw you in by constantly taking cheap shots. You want to get yours in. You get brought down to their level a little bit. And that's kind of what the Titans did to the Chiefs offensively. Uh, def- defensively, the Chiefs coming out of halftime, they said, nah, we- we've had enough of this. We are we are going to be the more physical team, and they so very much were in the second half. But the Titans brought that offense down to their level, and they do it every time they play. They really do. And you saw it in the way that the Chiefs handled the game. You saw it in the way that they tried to retaliate. Um Certain players weren't able to kind of hold up that end of the deal, and others stepped up. Um, we we talked about him a little bit on the post game show. This was a game that Colin Saunders decided, no, I'm I'm going to be that dude. Like I'm I'm going to step up, and you want to play physical with me? I'll play physical right back. And in a situation where in the first half, the Kansas City Chiefs run defense was not gap sound. Uh, rewatching this game. There, there's so many opportunities for the offensive lineman to just free climb to the second level. I mean, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, Leo Chanel had guys on top of them mere moments after the ball was snapped. Like the, no defensive lineman was holding up a guy, you know, throwing his ass into him, trying to re- hesitate, trying to force some hesitation up to the second level. That's fine, but that means the defensive line has to win a one-on-one then. And they have to be the ones to squeeze the gap. They have to be the one to close things down. And it wasn't happening. Colin Saunders gets in the game. We start seeing more of that. He's starting to make plays. He's starting to drive guys into the backfield. He's starting to force Derrick Henry to chop his feet a little bit. Now the scheme has to rotate a little bit. Colin's getting a little bit more of his man, getting a little bit more of the free climber. That allows Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel, Willie Gay to come downhill. The game kind of pivoted around Colin Saunders and I, I I know we gave him his flowers yesterday and all of that but even after re-watching it it really did kind of revolve around his involvement on the defensive side of the ball this week 
Well, and like, I mean, you saw the likes of Derek Naughty. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just kind of surprised, like, with Derek Naughty a little bit. Just kind of, I mean, I, there was a play. I think, Maddie, you might have been on when we were watching it, and he just washed 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. It was a holding play. Yes. It yeah. was just, it. you know, there was just, so like getting to see, and I think you're muted, Maddie, but getting to see some juice from Colin Saunders and, and, and the phys, like, I, I do think he matched the physicality. That's really what it was. It was matching the physicality that the Tennessee Titans put on that game. And we'll talk about the offense and physicality later. Don't we'll put a pin in that one. But oh yeah, it was it was cool to see Colin Saunders kind of match that play with that kind of intensity. And it feels like it's been a few moments like that this year. You know, it feels like he's been a guy and he's been a change agent in some moments where, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's playing with some aggression. He's playing with some physicality. He's, you know, he's putting together a, a really solid, you know, contract year. And I don't think this is the first time that we've kind of come away from a game going, okay, all right, Colin, I see what you're doing there. I see you playing. I see you working. I see you, you know, you're playing with some intensity, some physicality. And yeah, no, he's definitely a guy that deserves some attention. Is there anybody else on defense you think deserves attention, Matthew? Oh yeah, we, we're just starting on the defense now because yeah, I think I, I'm with Craig here. No, no, I'm with Craig here that Colin Saunders, I think, sp- helped spark a lot of this change. He was phenomenal. I mean, he was actually pretty good in the first half too. I, I, mm-hmm. I just went back and watched through and I was kind of comparing and contrasting snaps when it was him versus when it was Naughty, and there there was a significant difference. Um, I This is a sidebar thing. I don't like how either of them like align themselves for the snap. They both kind of get in a frog stance and they just stand up. They don't even step. They literally stand up and it does cost them at times. But Colin Saunders plays from there so much better than Derek Naughty does. He is able to get extension and use his hands, show some range. So he was phenomenal on the inside. I, I will say, I think he brought the energy. He brought an energy and a level of change that was needed. I'm not so sure the best player for the Chiefs defense in the second half wasn't Willie Gay. I mean, yeah. he was no agreed. He was outstanding. He made a He's couple really good reads where he peeled off and was able to corral Willis. He did a great job taking away a play action little pass, and then before he could come back and force Willis to tuck it. But even then, just taking on blocks, even some of the big runs early in the game, he blew up some blockers. It's just the Titans had some a hat on every other player, despite him blowing up a blocker in the holes. Like. Willie Gay played a phenomenal game. I think he's worth getting a mention here because they started putting him on the line of scrimmage or putting him in between the D tackle and the defensive end and saying, hey, go take on this ta- this offensive tackle. And guess what? Willie was winning. Willie was beating mm-hmm. offensive tackles while aligned on the line of scrimmage. And it, it was really good. And you still saw his range when he had a chance to open up and run. So I, I think he gets also a huge nod here. I think Saunders brought the energy, but I think Willie Gay might have been the actual best defender the Chiefs had out there. I'm willing to hear that. I really am willing to hear that because of the number of plays that he made. That one that you're referring to with Malik Willis, where he's peeled off on on the jet motion and he takes away the flat immediately. Malik (laughs) clearly tucks the ball to run and Willie peels off and he's able to be right on top of him. That's an exceptional play. There were a couple of plays in the run game, especially in in the third quarter there in the second half, that he was really good. But I want to shout out another linebacker who had his best game as a chief, Leo Chanel. I know that it's very yes. young in his in yes. his career. Leo Chanel was way better the second time. Watching it on the rewatch, watching it with the All-22, Maddie referred to, you know, they were mugging up that B-gap in between the D-tackles, kind of putting a guy in there to force it because, you know, if the, if the offensive guards are free climbing to the second level anyway, you might as well drop somebody in that gap. Take it on. You know, create havoc, build the wall up front. There's a play with the Titans backed up against their own end zone 
where Willie Gay actually makes the play on this one, but Leo Chanel's lined up in the B gap, taking on a guard, and they're trying to down block slant. Leo Chanel actually grabs him and throws <laughs> him over and creates and you know basically creates a pile on the side, steps into the backfield. Derrick Henry cuts back. Willie Gay's right there to meet him in the hole. Leo Chanel had multiple plays where I went, oh, damn, like he he's really <laughs> setting a hard edge. He's really yeah. making his presence felt in the run game. Not a game that you're going to look at him and say, oh, look at all the tackles, the tackles for loss, all these plays that he created. But when they needed to move a linebacker down there to really affect the play and force the Titans from, you know, to stop basically doing what they were doing in the first half, he was another significant change agent for that defensive line, calling him a defensive lineman because of how he was playing in the line of scrimmage there. But he was so, so good in the second half as well. Uh, we probably need to shout out whoever came up with the bright adjustment up front too. Uh, I I wanted to ask, is that Steve Spagnolo or is that or is that Joe Colon that is helping lead that adjustment to the front that really kind of just changed the second half of that game. I want to know. I want to know what you guys think because I'm so, trying to think of how many oh. times Steve Spagnolo did that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I errantly called it a bare front when we were doing the live show. I don't think they went bare front very often, actually. Maybe only two or three reps. They actually kept yeah. their yeah, they kept their defensive ends at a pretty normal spot. It was quite simply a lot of four-three over. They literally mm -hmm. played what Steve Spagnolo named when back used in the day. to <laughs> yeah yeah back in the right? day that's... i don't feel like he's used that very much at all in kansas city because they don't rush their sam they don't have a rush sam so it's not as much of a point but like that's what they were doing a lot they'd step willie down now the inserting of a linebacker into that gap between the d tackle d end i don't know that is something i don't recall seeing as much sometimes they were just straight up lining them up over essentially as a three tech when the tight end would motion over they just keep, or not a three tech, but like a four eye kind of five tech mm -hmm. over the tackle. They would keep their defensive end out wide outside the tack, like out on the tight end. And they'd put a linebacker over the tackle and they just said, Hey, your tackle can't block our linebackers. And whether it was Chanel or Willie Gay, it didn't matter. They were doing a fantastic job on that. So I, I don't know whose adjustment it was. It's probably a little bit of both. I'm glad that Craig brought up Leo Chanel though, because in the first half, he had some bad plays when he's having mm -hmm. to scrape over the top he gets caught in a lot of traffic. He's a little late and he lets those free climbers. Yes, they are free climbers, but he does let them get into his chest and he doesn't clear them very well. But you put him up on the line, you have him just go downhill or play through contact. He was tossing guys around as good as anybody else on the team. Yeah, he really, really was. And I, I, I do like, you know, talking about the way that the shift happened there in that first half. And we can, you know, we're going to look at the way that they tried to organize it by, by keeping that defensive end out wide in the second half, they rectified some of the issues they had because they were asking their defensive backs to crash down and try and take tight ends that were motioning across the formation. And frankly, this might've been the worst uh, safety <laughs> run fit game oh, of the chiefs so far. It, it was really bad. It wasn't, just you know typically when we talk about the safeties in the run game you're you're talking about them coming up and trying to make a play maybe missing a tackle that's what you think of but steve spagnolo joe colin dave merritt whoever it was that helped organize this run defense um we saw them try and have those guys be the force defenders absorb and set the edge against mm -hmm. tight ends time and time again and it was not working they were getting completely blown out of the gap they weren't able to squeeze it so even when willie gay is stepping up and taking on the fullback in the backfield 
and really forcing it into a singular gap for Derrick Henry, it didn't matter because everything was so wide out there. So the adjustment in the second half there is have a guy stacked, a linebacker stacked in between those two D tackles or in between the D tackle and the defensive end and have that defensive end on the edge there. Now you've got a guy that can squeeze through a tight end, squeeze that interior gap. You got the linebacker building the wall inside, and now you have the safety rolling over the top. Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill rolling over the top, trying to get to the outside and scraping rather than having one of those linebackers like he was talking about with Leo Chanel. It makes it a lot harder to get up a full head of steam. The Titans obviously did not have the kind of success that they were having in the first half with it. So super hat tip to whoever picked up on that and went, hey, listen, they are just creaming our guys off the edge. They're just absolutely annihilating the edge there. We have to make an adjustment, and it was the right adjustment to make in the second half. Speaking of creaming, some people like creaming their coffee, and Tucker Franklin's going to tell you about that really quick. Hey, sorry to interrupt again, but I've got to tell you about our sponsor, Trade Coffee. And going to a coffee shop is a great experience, but it's not something most of us can do every day. If you're looking for that delicious local coffee shop taste on a daily basis, it's so much easier to get that with Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so easy for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment needed. It's wonderful. Whether you know what you're doing and you already know what kind of coffee you like or you're looking and you need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans or however you make it your coffee at home. They will send it to you. It's absolutely perfect. It's a win-win in my book there. Here's how you got to do it. You're going to upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering listeners a total of $30 off their subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash KCSN. That's drinktrade.com slash KCSN for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Drinktrade.com slash KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you get your transition privileges taken away, buddy. Yeah, I think that's it. Very much upside. Who wants liquid death later? Craig, Maddie, you make you're up. <sighs> You're up next. I'm getting eviscerated in the comments, but at least you're leaving comments. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. If you are watching, you can uh, you can eviscerate me if you want. Uh, these guys had way too much fun with this. 
in the group chat, but that's okay. Um, I, you know, we're, we're talking about the safeties. Safety tackling has been an issue all season. Yeah. You know, and like, I think there's, there's plenty of issues I think with the run fits, you know, but also like they're turning six, seven yard plays into some explosive runs at times with the lack of tackling. And I mean, even you think, I, I think like the first play of the game, if I remember Chigo Conquo, I, there was kind of a pile of safeties there missing <laughs> some tackles and running oh, into no, each that other. That was the backers. That was the. I thought, that, I thought there was at least one safety in there. <laughs> there was there was a pile of backers too. Don't <laughs> trust me. Le- the whole Leo back seven. The whole back seven had a chance to tackle Chigo Conquo. Yeah, and nobody oh did. But I, it's it's it is something that I've been kind of paying attention to a little bit. It's just like I just think the safety tackling has just not been there. And look, Justin Reed. I, it, it's not been the best season for him to this point. I would say, I don't know if year one has been, you know, great for him, uh, especially with some of the issues missing tackles. So it's something to monitor, something to keep an eye on. Um, I don't really like, but like, you know, like we're, we're talking about all this. I don't know if there's like a ton of answers, you know, for this team outside of just, you know, getting better. Like, it's hard. It's hard to get better at tackling this late in the season too. Yeah. So, I think part of it too was in the first half they were they for some reason they were still trying to play too high like they still had their safeties playing from depth and Justin Reed had a couple bad ones Juan looked a little hesitant on just hesitant Justin Reed was coming downhill but he was when you're coming downhill and everyone's blocked up and you're trying to run an alley there's a lot of different alleys to run and he was mm-hmm. probably just being over aggressive more so than I think just straight up tackling back now he did miss tackles don't get me wrong just purely in terms of playing the run. There was a couple plays where, yeah, he was supposed to be the alley runner and he picked the wrong alley. But like I'm watching him like, well, if he doesn't go where he goes, Derrick Henry probably goes there too. Or he can go there and pick up a huge gain. So they were really struggling with how to fit the run from that deep as bad as the defensive line in the front seven were getting beat to start the game. Now, I do think that got a lot better in the second half. Once, as Craig already kind of talked about with the defensive end, still lined up outside and holding contained, you could roll the safety up and over it you started seeing some of those gaps were getting squeezed down. And now all of a sudden you have a safety either scraping over the top using athleticism, or at least they are getting isolated to one specific gap or lane to run through. I don't recall near as many missed tackles in the second half. So, you know, maybe better positioning results in better tackling sometimes wild. I don't know. It's like, that was, that was my big takeaway. I know the chiefs tackling is bad. I don't know who they have that coaches tackling. They need to go hire anyone that's worked in Seattle and just have them come in and teach them how to tackle. Come bring your little Seattle tackling tire, teach them how to rugby tackle because this team has not been good at tackling for seven years now. And I think because of previous safeties that were with this team, that the tackling has been better this season than maybe it was last season, but it's not been so much better to where you're like oh man that's a strength now no it's not and the 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 start in too high was baffling to me like you know they're going to run the ball you know that derrick henry is going to be there you know that you're going to have malik willis trying to run the ball a little bit as well and it's not like there's a ton of burners over there in that receiving room so you're not super worried about getting beat over the top. I know that you got young corners, rookie corners, which we'll get to in a second, but it was baffling to me to see a too high structure out the gate, you know, from, from this team on early downs 
against heavy personnel. That sort of stuff required them to kick Leo Chanel, kick Willie Gay out as more of an overhang. And you're now taking a guy out of the run fit that's one of your best guys in the run fit, all because you want to play too high. And I didn't get the reasoning behind that. And obviously, the shift occurred hard in the second half there. You roll that safety down. That makes a big, big, big difference. But that was baffling to me to watch them start the game like that, especially when your rookie corners are playing as well as they are and as well as they did on Sunday. Uh, Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. If you are watching this fine program, it helps us grow KC Sports Network. Please do that if you wouldn't mind. Craig, you wanted to talk about the young cornerbacks, and that seems like a decent place to close this thing out on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, we are Matthew. Do you have more math, Matthew? Like, are you going to just, are, are we going to do an hour on the defense? I mean, we oh, could. We, shouldn't we? <laughs> um, I just go, I do something say, before we go corners, whatever you want to get in. We'll let Craig I just talk about the say, corners. I, we'll move over to LeVon. Also thought Carlos Dunlap had an excellent game. He played an excellent football game, especially during the second half, especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter. He was making a lot of big plays. He was eating double teams from a tackles and an extra offensive lineman. There was a couple of big plays, I think, on Colin Saunders' big you know, run stop on that last drive for the uh, one-yard gain or whatever it was. Dunlap literally ate two offensive linemen. Stuck him up right there to allow Saunders to come make the play. He was celebrating on the ground. He was getting pretty hyped up. The Colin Saunders sack was also Dunlap taking the tight end that they were calling a screen for and holding him in place until Malik Willis had to abandon it, which led to a sack. So I think Carlos Dunlap played an absolute excellent game and they needed it. Without Frank Clark, I think you did could feel the lack of that run defense that he does provide. Carl Loftus played good. Dana played good. Like guys played good. But Frank Clark is still very clearly their best defensive end right now. Whether Whatever that says about the room, that's fine. But he's still very clearly their <laughs> best one. So getting Dunlap kind of stepping up and being that leader and that guy, I thought that was really big down the stretch. That's all I wanted to say, Ken. Cool. Uh, now you can talk about the cornerbacks, Gregory. Okay. Finally. God. No, no. it was great to see Trent McDuffie out there. Um, he was locked down. He was absolutely locked down all game. Went back specifically to rewatch his snaps and see the kind of separation that he was getting. You know, the – the way the Titans run their offense, there's a lot of clear out routes. There's a lot of stuff where he's got a man turn against a guy and carry him vertically. And there was zero separation. I, I think there was a play that I probably could have picked on as, oh, he allowed a little bit late in the rep. He was glued to whoever his coverage assignment was all game long. He shut things down. We and know Kent talked about the PBU that he had. Perfect job turning, locating the ball out of his periphery, doing enough to where even though it was an underthrown ball, he's trying to play the ball. So it's not PI there. He did so well on so many different route concepts and so many things for this team. It should have everybody so excited about Trent McDuffie because he was great. Now, again, these Titans wide receivers, not the best crew that he's going to see, but we've now gotten a game and a half of Trent McDuffie basically being in the hip pocket of every single guy that he's seen. I think if we would have seen more Trent McDuffie, he wouldn't have gotten hurt as the season went along. We would be talking about him in the same way that Tariq Woolen gets talked about. He's probably not making as many impact plays. I'm not trying to say that, but teams don't want to throw 
at Trent McDuffie because there's zero separation. There's no window to throw it to. And so he's just eliminating guys with excellent positioning, excellent man coverage. And that is something that they are going to need if they are going to blitz as often as Steve Spagnuolo wants going forward against teams that aren't the Titans and aren't going to just run the ball all the time. The thing that's exciting to me, though, about all this is like some of the concerns you had about the physical profile, and it's a small sample size, but they haven't shown up yet. You know, and like I think that's what's so encouraging about what you've seen from him to this point is, hey, like he's not, um, you know, he's not really struggling against bigger receivers, and he's played some bigger size receivers already. And granted, there hasn't been a ton of targets his way, but. I mean, he 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 took he kind of got a crash course, and like he he knew how to play it a little bit in college. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. I feel like there was just some points of emphasis to try to figure out how to help him mitigate some of the issues that he has with you know length and size. And honestly, I I think all that work in in the preseasons paid off. I think all the work at training camps paid off to this point. And I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. I think there's a lot of of, of reason to be optimistic that he will sustain some success doing what he's doing um and it's fun to watch I, I was really like we talked about this like I, it was i was really sad that we didn't get to watch him for a long stretch of the season i'm going to enjoy every second of it moving forward because it is a lot of fun and like he's he's supposed to be the 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 the, the feature player the 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 lead on your draft class right you know like i think george has kind of overtaken that because people forgot about him but i mean this is this is supposed to be kind of your you know, your guy in this class. You got anything else to add, Maddie? Yeah. I mean, I, I was excited for Trent McDuffie as well. I think he very much fulfilled, lived up to all of the billing. I think there was one deep play action crossing concept that I think he did get a little lost on mm-hmm. because he was That's looking for I'm it to break that. outside and it crossed across the inside. Thankfully, they threw it to whoever Sneed was covering and he had a lot better coverage on the play. But then that was it. Now, it wasn't, it's not a huge sample size, right? The, the Titans didn't throw the ball a lot. But that's the only play where I can even look at and say, oh, he wasn't in great position on this play. And yeah, they didn't throw the ball a lot, but the Titans still put a lot out there. And then I also thought it was worth noting, he seemed to be the other base corner coming right back. Mm -hmm. Like he was out there. That seemed to matter. And then Jalen Watson, we saw him have very good coverage on that vertical route. So that's still, we're going to talk about Trent McDuffie a lot because I do think he's the best one and he probably matters the most of the bunch. But Jalen Watson still played good. Joshua Williams still was in good coverage, made a couple tackles or a couple good reads to come up and make a tackle or at least get hands on a ball carrier. So all of the rookie DBs played well. I think even Brian Cook actually came up and made a couple nice plays when Mm -hmm. they did get him out there. It wasn't that many snaps this week, but when they did get him out there, he made some plays. So just the whole rookie defensive backfield. And then already I said, George, like all the rookie defenders played well. I think McDuffie is going to be, I still feel really good about the McDuffie pick right now. Like, Every time you watch him, you just feel a little bit better and better and better because he just is so good. And it was worth noting he was playing on the other side of the field. Not a big deal, but he has switched sides from where he played versus the Arizona Cardinals. He is not stuck on just one side or the other. So that's a little feather to tuck away for later on when they maybe want to follow somebody around if they ever get to that point. Mm. Interesting. Uh, also interesting what Tucker D. Franklin has to say. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you about some of these strange tall boys of beer that you might see in the bottled water section of your favorite store. Well, it's not actually beer. It's a liquid mountain spring water company from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. And you might be wondering, Tucker, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, let me tell you, it's because 
is they'll brutally murder your thirst. That's right. Not only are they going to brutally murder your thirst, they are going to brutally murder plastic pollution in the process. It's wonderful with their infinitely recyclable aluminum cans. They also donate 10% of their proceeds from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. It's great. They've got four flavors. They have regular sparkling water. They've got still water, which is the mountain spring water. And they have uh, mango. They have uh, berry flavored. And they also have the one I like here, the severed lime. I'm going to go ahead and crack it on open. And you can get a liquid death at your local Target, Walmart, 7-Eleven, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, it's finally time to talk about the offense. We got through Ooh. literally 30 minutes of this show. Uh, we haven't talked about the offense once. Um, should be more. I, <laughs> yeah, I, so here's the thing. I, this, how I felt about this game, and I'm not trying to be too much of a downer because, like, you know, hey, the Chiefs won the game, but, you know, like, it was a really cool, unique performance from Patrick Mahomes. You know, he goes off and he has, I think it was a 446 in the air. And, was it, was, is that right? Is it 446? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was 446. Yeah. Did I have that memorized from last night? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm very keen many. to Patrick LeVon Mahomes at 63 yards on the ground. And the Chiefs put up over 500 yards of offense. But it just left a sour taste in your mouth. It's just <laughs> so weird to think about this team that put up, you know, I think 499 net yards of offense after some sacks that you know that occurred and 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 an all-time like i mean people are like waxing poetic about this performance from mahomes mahomes carried this team and put him on the back no doubt about it but it was an absolute slog for the vast majority of this game and i just like it just kind of left a weird taste in my mouth after that game i i guess the good news is that they figured out what they needed to do. They figured out what works. They they took them three and a half quarters, but they got there, right? They figured out what they had to do. And essentially what they had to do was, my game script sucks. Patrick Mahomes, go save us. And that's what <laughs> essentially happened, right? Like, and I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily, like, I don't want to come across that critical of Andrew. Actually, I kind of do here because I think it was a terrible game script. The Titans were reading everything they did. The, and Andy could get nothing that made the game easy for the offense going. He just simply could not. But it got to the point in the fourth quarter where it truly was Mahomes just said, okay, I'm not going to lose this game. What do I have to do to not lose this game? And if that means running every other play, running for 50 yards, and then immediately going back into the huddle, calling a play and throwing it where he doesn't even have the, the, the energy to get the ball out to the flat, that's what it's going to be. And that's what you got for the final, you know, eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And then in overtime, you just got a guy that was going to refuse to lose this game. And we joke a lot that Andy Reid puts 
the Chiefs into that position, right? They, they come out the script. The game script is always going to be good. That's a different conversation that we have to talk about like separately. After the game script, it can really slow down. And they are just rely on Mahomes saying, okay, we're out of rhythm. It's not exactly working. It's not easy. Go save us. But it's still in the realm of here's the plays. Here's Andy's designs go be really good on this, and maybe you come out with a great third down completion. Maybe you save a drive. This entire game became, hey, Patrick, please save us because we can't do anything else that is going to possibly win this game. And that was one of the, there's not that many of those games that they have. This was one of them. Like, I really don't know offensively what else was working besides Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when you account for 509 yards of offense (laughs) on your own, like, that's, that's pretty good. Had had to beat his previous single game record against the the Rams by one yard, by one yard there. Also, I thought it was interesting. He he's thrown for 446 yards one time before. That was in a loss to the Tennessee Titans in the regular <laughs> season a few years ago. So apparently, this man just has to do everything against the Titans. No, it 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 really we don't get into him too terribly much. Uh, usually, Andy tries to do a good job of taking thing taking the heat off of Patrick a little bit this team could not run the ball I uh, just couldn't run the ball and so you you automatically there by default you're putting it in Mahomes' hands and saying hey I realize that we're not doing some of the stuff that that we were doing before Maddie I'm sure you're going to get into the script and stuff like that so I won't go too far into that but we're not doing some of the stuff that we were doing against the 49ers we're not lining up some of the same ways that we were winning you know some of our route combinations and stuff like that in previous years or not previous years, previous games. So instead, we're just going to line up and say, okay, Patrick, it's all you, buddy. And I, you can sit there and say, hey, yeah, we're going we're gonna to mess around and we're going to allow him to be the guy that lines up and you know, just we put it all in his hands and hope it works out and that it does more often than it's not when, when you're doing that. That's... That is insane that it happens that way. We are just, we're switching spots left and right. There we go. Now we're talking. Um, So this is going to sound, I don't want to say too conspiracy. It's not like, it's not conspiracy theory. That's not the right word, but it kind of felt on that touchdown run. I think Mahomes, I'm not sure Mahomes wasn't ready to tuck that ball and run very quickly. Uh, I think he kind of had a predetermined plan that he was going to get out and run. I think he got a little bit more depth in his drop to try to kind of influence that rush a little bit wide before he ran out the back of the pocket uh, or ran up and in like, like he loves, loves to do. I'm not entirely sure. Like a little bit of it was Mahomes looking to run a little bit more, a little bit quicker. And I'm not sure he wasn't ready to ready to tuck and run pretty quick on that. It just kind of felt like just the way, just just how quickly and how ready prepared he was to run the ball out there. I just kind of wonder, maybe, if uh, if he was uh, if he was if he was looking to do it pretty quick. Um, offensive line still ugly after watching it again. Yeah. Um, still some struggles there. I think running the football. Some you know, and I credit like credit credit Jeff Simmons. Jeff Simmons was I Jeff Simmons was a problem. He was an absolute problem in this game, Matthew. And you know what? Hey, but I will say this. Shout out to Jeff Simmons for making sure to let Chris Jones know which quarterback was playing 
So uh, he does get some kudos for that. That was that was big time. Shout out Jeff Simmons for that. Appreciate you, my dude. I don't think the offensive line is as bad as a lot of people do. Um, uh -oh. Even after rewatching it, I really, I mean, they weren't great, but I don't, I didn't watch this game and sit there and think when I'm watching it back, like, oh, he has no time to get to the back of his drop, work through a progression, a couple of progressions, and then try to make a throw. I think he actually had time to do that far more often than he did it. Um, so like, I don't, I, I don't think that the offensive line was absolutely terrible. I, I don't want to say they were good. I think the Titans have a really good rush plan. They take one speed rusher, have him run the arc real deep. They have three power rushers, literally just shrink the pocket. And your options are stepping up into this shrinking pocket, which was there frequently, or drift back and deal with the speed rusher coming around the edge. When you have Orlando Brown Jr., who I think played a actually pretty good game. I want to be very clear. Yes, everyone's going to highlight the one play where Mario Williams throws him up in the air. Find the other quick pressure that he gave up that wasn't 12 yards deep in the back of the, the you know, behind the line of scrimmage, right? He played a fine game, but when he's your tackle, you put a speed rusher on him. Orlando Brown Jr. isn't running a speed rusher 13 yards deep when that's his aiming point. If you're going to put a Bud Dupree out there and say, hey, go run to 13 yards, guess who he's going to beat there every single time? Orlando Brown Jr. And normally you're okay with that because a quarterback can just sit in the pocket, step forward, throw the ball or escape out the side. But when you're playing the Titans and Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry and all these guys that they have, they just shrink that pocket on you and you can't sit there. So you either start to drift and get beat by the deep pressure or you step up into another sack. I think the Titans pass rush plan was great. They also led lead the league in like pressure rates. So it's not as if it's a bad pass rush. Those all play a part. I don't think any of the Chiefs offensive linemen were downright terrible individually. I do think Trey Smith is so high risk, high reward, especially in this game. Jeffrey Simmons was bullying him at times. And then, then you go back and watch, okay, there's a, there's a few more plays in a couple where Trey Smith is throwing Jeffrey Simmons on the ground and then letting him know about it. So they went back and forth. I'd say he was probably, I thought he was their worst offensive lineman. And it was more so in the run game than in pass protection where I thought he was really getting beat. So I don't know. I thought that I thought the offensive line was fine. I don't think that the offensive line was what was hampering this offensive production in this game at all. Well, and then you've got a spy that's kind of floating out there as well. So you got guy, you got Creed, Tooney, you know, Trey that are kind of having to keep an eye on that guy and Clay Casey's a late insert that the, the Titans did blitz a couple of times. Chiefs actually did a pretty good job picking it up. They they really did. I, I know the broadcast highlighted one of those where they sent that that spy and Chiefs offensive line did an awesome job picking it up. So I do think that it was a little bit better than what everybody's saying here. The problem is, I think the expectation was so high. Now, now you're looking at the assets in it. Now you're looking at the fact that you gave up that pick for Orlando Brown Jr. And you're probably looking at having to pay him a contract lest you turn around and have to try and find another left tackle. And I don't foresee that being the case, especially when he's as beloved in the locker room as he is. Joe Tooney is making a lot of money. You invested a second round draft pick in, in Creed Humphrey. Now, obviously, Trey Smith lower round draft pick you got a third rounder in lucas niang at the other tackle or andrew wiley out there so the investment isn't in the right side of the line but that seems to be where the pressure is coming from and when you've got a, a pass rush like the titans have where you can kind of use a guy to bully wiley in the back turn on orlando brown jr you can't give help to them without abandoning jeffrey simmons 
And that's kind of what we always are talking about here. When we're talking about edge rush, when we're talking about the offensive line, you can talk about Chris Jones and how dominant he is. Chris Jones requires a double team. Everybody else gets one-on-ones out there. You got to win those. And the Titans do. That Bud Dupree wins his one-on-one often enough to be dangerous. You've got Danico Autry out there winning his one-on-one often enough to be dangerous. And Jeff Simmons can beat a double enough to be dangerous. There's no good way to shift protection and try and defeat that. So you've got to rely on your studs to be able to try try and pick up their studs. And I think that there were a few too many opportunities here where you would hope that the Chiefs offensive line would be a little bit better than that just based on our view of them overall. Certainly not this year. They've struggled a little bit in some of those situations. Um, One other thing, just kind of talk about, hey, look, <laughs> offensive line struggles, run game struggles. It's not entirely on the offensive line, too. I don't think the backs have been particularly great this year. Um, I think they have a running back problem, and that's that sucks to say because they have a first-round running back that has got benched. He's getting out snapped by Jarek McKinnon, who, I mean, can't stay healthy. Uh, so I don't know. They've got, they've got some problems there in the running back to, back to when it comes to the run game. Um, anything else big on the offensive side of the ball, Matthew, that you really want to, that you just are clamoring to talk about? Yeah. I, I do think we got to talk about the general game plan or like lack thereof. Right. So we saw against the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the chiefs came out and they used a lot of gap run stuff. Even when they were throwing the ball around, it was a lot of corner routes, a lot of sales, a lot of cross, like switching concepts on the same side of the field they got the motion going you were stretching horizontally vertically like you were kind of putting everything out there you don't have much of that versus the bills you get completely get rid of the gap run scheme which tanks the run game you don't really get much into your mesh and crossing concepts until later in the game and the bills are locking guys up in man coverage now all of a sudden you go back to the 49ers game what do you do oh wait we're gonna go back and we're gonna stack travis kelsey and juju smith schuster on top of each other Good luck trying to play man because whichever guy you're going to body up, the other one's just going to release off of him. And now you have one of the two receivers that can beat that man coverage operating in a one-on-one from a advantageous position. Where does all this kind of stuff go again this week? It's gone. When I go back and watch the Chiefs are running a fair amount of like vertical plays, but they were just go routes and posts. And that's fine. I think that this offense needs more of those to be effective. You watch the Bills. They still throw the ball deep despite every team in the world trying to take it away. I think the Chiefs do still need to continue to do that, but they weren't getting there. It took them way too long to start getting into some of their mesh stuff. It took them way too long to start getting on their switch releases. And even when they did, they were getting beat up on the offensive line. So I, just, I don't think they were getting a lot of help to get into the stuff that has been working to beat man coverage, to the stuff that you know that works to beat that New England style. We're going to beat you up at the line of scrimmage and hope they don't call you know holding every single play. I just think the Chiefs were late to get into that. That's fully a coaching decision, and I don't know why they do that sometimes. Conspiracy, it's yet again against an AFC team that they go back to this, and I hate it. I hate saying they don't want to put their best foot forward to make sure they win a game that's going to matter in the standings, but look at the games where they've kind of come out with this looking game. Chargers, Bills, Titans. Look at the games they've come out and looked really good. Cardinals, Buccaneers. 49ers like at some point in time it maybe just isn't a coincidence and maybe the nfc is just terrible do you ever think about that maddie because that makes (laughs) me less angry (laughs) number one defense i know i know it it really is it's 
it's difficult to watch and, and difficult to see all that because you see the things that work. You see the aspects of the game that work and it, they just abandon them at times. And I get it. There are game plans depending on what they're seeing. They're trying to put stuff on tape. Like, you know, we talk about the first 15 all the time and Kent talks about it all the time. You've written, written series about it, about how the tells that you get from that first 15 and how that informs the rest of the game. The problem is we see a lot of the tells in the first 15 and then we don't see things that build off of it regularly. That's the issue. It's not that, you know, they're trying out the first 15 Titans are figuring some stuff out. They're making adjustments. And then they're, you know, it's just this game back and forth of adjustments. It's like the chiefs run the first 15 and then just go, you know what? We're not taking anything from that anymore. We're just moving on. We're going to do this basic stuff. We're given nothing more. We're not given the adjustments that happen off of that. We're going to file that away in our book for when we see them in the playoffs because we already know this is how they're going to plan to handle these elements of the first 15. So realistically, they're treating it like we're going to see it in the playoffs. We're giving the first 15 this week, and then we're going to circle back and get the first 15 of the playoff game. And guess what? Now we got a first 30 full of adjustments that we can really sit and build off of. I hate it because it, it just, you you end up risking too much by doing that. Now, Chiefs won, obviously didn't bite him in the ass on this. We have seen it bite him in the ass in the past though. And so I, it's just one of those, I'd rather Andy put the hammer down, get it done. But obviously the man's been to four straight AFC championship games. So what the hell do I know? You know, he's trying to he's trying to keep as much in the clip as he can, and that's kind of always been his MO. And they try to manage games, you know, and, and try to keep their, their cards as close to the best as they can. They always it just kind of feels like they always have. It doesn't feel like they're always coming in with their best, you know, game scripts or you know, they're they're, they're always holding something back, it feels like. And it's it's stressful. <laughs> and like, I mean, to to be fair, like, hey, how many times is it really hurt their outlook i mean they they're really good in a lot of close games i mean they've wound up they've hosted the last four afc championship games you might call it a little bit of process result but i mean this team winds up having you know having every advantage that they want heading into the afc championship game so i don't know i it's, it's hard to criticize too much but also like it it stresses me out <laughs> stresses me out a lot it does. I think a big thing though is this is a new offense. These are all new players. These guys don't have that instant connection. So you would think you would like to maybe get a half or two and a half quarters of the stuff that is working that you are going to build upon as the year goes on. You would like to think that you can't just pull the plug after the first 15 plays that you call and be like, okay, we can just kind of coast on our talent and my basic, you know, first two days of installs on this offense for the rest of this game. And it's, it's frustrating that they don't. And I think this year, especially because of the new offense. But then now that I think about it, last year, they were essentially having to adjust everything because they were getting you know deep coverage shelled to death. All of a sudden, the vertical passing game wasn't there. They still did all this same stuff last year during the regular season. They hit the playoffs. Up until the last half of the AFC Championship game, everything's firing on all cylinders yet again, despite the fact of them changing a lot about their offense. You go to the year before offensive line injuries they can't run the ball they can't do all this stuff the offense essentially again looks the same for half of the year guess what happens so they hit the playoffs until they get to the super bowl versus the buccaneers and they literally are having us three go out there in offensive line then all of us that's the only time their offense fails right so when they get to the playoffs they do turn it up so maybe it is silly to complain about this here on you know november 7th or 7th here 
but it's really frustrating to watch this team see what works one week, see glimpses of it in the first 15, and be like, okay, cool, we'll catch you again later on. We're not going to do that stuff anymore to the point to where they almost lose to a bad Tennessee Titans football team. All right. Uh, Helmet stickers, butt slaps, bottles of vodka time, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's about that time. I'm giving out a helmet sticker. Uh, and then uh, what game balls, The uh, I think the comment section of the live YouTube show, throw a game ball out. We'll try to, we'll try to post one up uh, before this whole thing gets over. But uh, my helmet sticker is going to Noah Gray. Uh, played a lot of snaps with Jody Fortson's exit uh, and are you know, missing this game. Comes up with some big plays. Uh, three catches, 45 yards, uh, a big catch late in the game. I believe a 27 yarder that uh, BJ Kissel thought was Travis Kelsey because it was a such an impressive did. play at the catch point. So uh, the best game of Noah Gray's young career. Um, glad he's still here. Glad he's playing, sticking around. Really nice performance from him. Three big plays, 15 yards per catch on the day. Three for 45. Uh, fourth on the team in receiving yards, actually. So uh, helmet sticker for Noah Gray. What you got, Maddie? Oh, coming up to me next for a butt slap. Um, Corey, we've already done Colin Saunders. He got like the first 15 minutes of the show. It can't be Colin Saunders again. Um, Give me Juju Smith-Schuster. Yet again, quietly coming up with being the the most consistent guy, I guess, yesterday, because Travis Kelsey had a little bit of the dropsies going on. Juju Smith-Schuster also dropped one, but it was only one. Kelsey had a few more. Juju is very clearly their second best receiving target. Pat's starting to trust him. He was half of the, their passing attack there in the second half. When they couldn't get anyone open, Kent and I were on the live stream talking about it. They are just running this simple little just spacing route where he just runs forward and sits down at five, six yards, catches, turns, and falls forward because he's a big guy. That's consistent free offense you can get every time with the guy of his size and his ability. I think he had another, what was it, eight catches, 10 catches in this game, eight, 10 catches for 88 yards or something along those lines. He is becoming a very important part of this offense. And even where a game where it didn't, it wasn't set up for him to be super successful, he still find a way to put a big impact on it. Yeah, and I know that uh, that we did talk about Colin Saunders already, so I'm not going to give it to Colin Saunders. Instead, I'm giving my whole last bottle of vodka, two of them, to King Bink saunders for his performances this season my man is playing so so well he's making so much money i don't care that we talked about him already give it to king bank uh i think so too uh our friend uh bearcat is also uh very glad that you did it i'm seeing uh <laughs> yeah yeah we see that uh brent shepherd wants it to be patrick levon mahomes that the game ball goes to let's do that Let's let the comment section give a game ball to Patrick LeVon Mahomes. We'll be talking about Patrick LeVon and Mahomes and more later this week. Uh, actually, Craig and Maddie will. I will be out of town, uh, but they'll be game previewing uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars oh, and the fighting all Doug defense. Oh, you guys have fun with that. I will be, be so in, fun. I'm going to enjoy listening. It's going to be a good time. Thank you, everybody. Be kind to each other this week. We love y'all. Catch you later.